1: This is Cresta in the afternoon,
2: and good afternoon. Hi, I'm Al Cresta, and I'm glad to be with you for another two hours talking about the things that matter most. Now, we will today talk about the chair of Saint Peter. Uh, there is actually a physical chair of Saint Peter, although that's not going to be our focus. We'll focus on the the authority. Uh, that is, goes along with the chair, and we'll be taking a look again at biblically uh, where do we see St. Peter's authority exercised on the pages of the New Testament. Also coming up today is, well yesterday was actually the anniversary of the publication of the Communist Manifesto. This is the mo- one of the most influential books in really world history, and it has created more death and destruction than any other particular book. The uh, Harvard University published uh, about twenty-five years ago now the Black Book of Communism, which was uh, a study of the number of deaths communism had brought on, and numbers are stunning. We often think of Hitler as being the great, um, you know, slayer of human lives, but when you look at uh, Stalin, you look at other communist leaders, Pol Pot, uh, you look at Mao Zedong, you end up with 100 million, 150 million deaths, not 6 million uh, Jews, as with Hitler. So we're going to talk that over with Dr. Paul Kangor, who's written The Devil in Karl Marx, and it's very interesting to know that from the start, Uh, Karl Marx's philosophy was dedicated to the destruction of the moral order. It was dedicated to the destruction of religious authority. And and what did he get? What's the fruit of that kind of thinking? So that's coming up. Also, uh, we'll spend time going over, of course, this this Sunday's Gospel reading with Peggy Stanton. But first, I want to make sure we get to the headlines.
0: Thanks, Al. Good afternoon, everyone. This is your Ave Maria radio news for Thursday, February 22nd. It's the Feast of the Chair of St. Peter. Today's news brought to you by the Ave Maria family of funds at AveMariaFunds.com. AT&T cell phone service is fully restored after being out for most of the day. An investigation into today's cell phone outages is looking into whether or not it's part of a cyber attack. ABC News reports the FBI, Department of Homeland Security, and other agencies are looking into if the cause is a cyber attack or just technical difficulties. Outages were reported in major cities such as Houston, Chicago, Dallas, Los Angeles, and Atlanta. Two alleged abuse victims of Mosaic artist Father Marco Rupnik spoke publicly for the first time, detailing the tactics the former Jesuit allegedly used to manipulate them. Rupnik has been at the center of a nearly six-year-long scandal centering on his alleged abuse of over 20 religious sisters spanning across three decades. Rupnik hasn't commented publicly about the allegations, but his associates say the allegations are unproven. A Vatican investigation began in October of 2023. A trial has been averted after a settlement was reached in a civil suit involving a 22-year-old Long Island travel blogger who was murdered by her Florida fiancé. The parents of Gabby Petito sued the fiancé's parents and their attorney, claiming emotional distress by misleading them about Gabby's whereabouts before her body was found. Terms of the settlement weren't disclosed. And China is sending back more pandas to the United States in a sign of improving diplomatic relations between the two countries. On Thursday, the Chinese foreign ministry said in an agreement with the San Diego Zoo, it's been signed off on a new round of international cooperation in the protection of giant pandas. Agreement is also being worked on with the Washington National Zoo. From your Avi Maria Radio news desk, I'm Steve Clark.
2: And good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. Today we celebrate, of course, the chair of St. Peter. And while in fact there is literally a chair of St. Peter, uh, Normally what we focus on is, of course, the chair as a symbol of apostolic authority. And uh, why Peter? I mean, I think that's, for many, many years, it didn't strike me that Peter was that exceptionally different than the other uh, apostles. But a closer look at the pages of the New Testament shows that Peter, in fact, is uh, got a degree of leadership and a degree of authority surrounding him that the other apostles don't have. I look even at the the Evangelical Dictionary of Theology, which is a standard Protestant reference book, and it notes that, quote, Peter's primacy or leadership among the Twelve Apostles and in the primitive church is now generally accepted by Protestant and Catholic scholars alike, end of quote one thing we do know uh at reading getting to know peter as a personality he was emotional he was impetuous he was um complex and not someone that you would immediately say that they that's going to be a rock you know he 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 was he was aggressive he was rash he was uh, he, he jumped out, tried to correct Christ. He uh, he was cowardly enough to deny Christ. It's it just a remarkable uh, set of personal characteristics. Nevertheless, uh, Jesus did choose Peter to fill a role of leadership over the others, and a simple word count of the Gospels and Acts of the Apostles reveals that Peter is mentioned no less than 195 times. Now, that's more than all the other apostles combined. In fact, the next most common mention is John. He has 29 mentions. Peter, 195 mentions. So, clearly he stands out uh, in the story. And his preeminence in Scripture... You can start, for instance, in the Gospels, you see that he is usually the spokesman uh, for the Apostles, especially at climactic moments. He's often the central figure relating to Jesus in dramatic Gospel scenes, such as walking on water. Uh, In the Synoptic Gospels, Peter is uh, always named first, when the apostles are listed. So if you have a listing of the apostles, Peter is always mentioned first. In fact, sometimes the apostles are referred to as simply Peter and his companions. In John's Gospel, uh, John waits for Peter before entering Jesus' tomb and allows Peter to go in first. That's generally thought to be a sign of honor and respect. Jesus also singled out Peter as a shepherd of God's people which he doesn't do with any of the other apostles. Uh, when Paul is going over the list of witnesses of Jesus' resurrection, Peter is named first. In fact, he calls him Cephas, Rock, the Aramaic name that Jesus gave uh, Peter. Uh, in the Acts of the Apostles, Peter's leadership is acknowledged in many, many ways. He's First of all, uh, when the gospel is, is proclaimed publicly for the first time, in Acts chapter 2, it's Peter who's doing the preaching. He gives uh, many of the major speeches in Acts. Those are Peter's. The first healing miracle after Pentecost is uh, reportedly worked through Peter's command. And he apparently had a widely recognized gift of healing. He was the first, Peter again, was the first to receive God's revelation that the gospel was to go to the Gentiles. This is a quite an involved story in the book of Acts, um, climaxing in Acts chapter 10, verses 9 to 48. And then it was Peter who was the first to command the baptism of the Gentiles. This is a major shift in salvation history. And Peter is the hinge figure, who's there, again, opening the door of uh, the gospel to the Gentiles and commanding the baptism of the the first baptism of the Gentiles. Now, he's distinguished from the rest of the twelve in other gospel incidents as well. So, when Jesus revealed that Satan had demanded um, that he was going to sift all of the twelve, it was Peter who was singled out as the one for whom Jesus was praying. And then uh, Christ prophesied that after his repentance, Peter would be the one to strengthen the brethren. So again, Peter is set up there uh, for his restoration. Uh, Three times, Peter boasted he would never deny Christ. And then later, Jesus matches Peter's boasts with the threefold question. Do you love me? And then Peter gets a chance to answer three times. Yes, Lord, you know I do. Uh, Peter then is the one who's commissioned to be a good shepherd, who would imitate Jesus in laying down his life. For Christ's sheep. Um, the most telling story, though, is the one that you probably know quite well, and that is in Matthew chapter 16. There, Peter uh, is with Jesus in the region of Caesarea Philippi, and that's, that's actually the geographic area is actually important to the story. Um, you have the headwaters of the sacred Jordan River originating through an opening in a massive wall of rock, approximately 200 by 500 feet. In fact, we were there with uh, Steve Ray a few years ago. And the Jews esteemed this spot as a place of revelation in the age to come, and as a meeting where maybe the upper and lower worlds would meet. And here Jesus says to Peter, And I tell you, you are Peter. Uh, The Greek word there is Petros. And on this rock, Petra." I will build my church, and the powers of death shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now Jesus had just asked, you've got to follow the storyline here, Jesus had just asked the twelve, who do men say that the Son of Man is? And in reply, they all throw out some prominent names from Hebrew history. But who do you, that's plural, who do you say that I am? And typically it's Simon who steps forward and speaks for the apostolic band. He says, uh, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus then turned and identifies Simon, and I tell you, singular, are Peter, Petras. And on this rock, Petra, I will build my church. Now, of course, they would have been speaking uh, Aramaic, and in, there is no distinction uh, between Petros and Petra in Aramaic. The word would have been Sephos. And G- Peter is then thereby set up as the rock upon which Jesus will build his church. Yes, it's the believing Peter. Sometimes people like to get into these fights about, well, is he, is he building on Peter's faith or is he building on Peter? He's definitely building on Peter, but it is the believing Peter. It's not just Peter as an abstract human being. It's it's the Peter who has confessed uh, that Jesus is the Christ. Um, and you, there's quite a bit written on this. Uh, again, I'd recommend uh, Steve Ray's book, Upon This Rock, for you, uh, where he goes into quite a bit of detail uh, into this very thing. And it gets a little difficult just to talk it over because it deals with different translations. And uh, so I'm going to just skip over that aspect of this. But what you also have happening in that same passage is that uh, Peter is given the keys of the kingdom. Now this is is an amazing connection with the uh, prophet Isaiah, chapter 22, verse 15. Uh, Christ promises Peter the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and uh, New Testament scholars see that this is a reference to the keys that are given to the chief steward of the uh, kingdom. And if you to really get the punch fr- from these words, you've got to go back to the royal steward and his successor, uh, King David. Uh, you know, had uh, a royal household that would would endure forever. And in ancient Israel, this king, the successor of David or David, delegated authority over his house to a chief steward or a, a palace administrator, a prime minister. Uh, this was a common practice in ancient kingdoms. Uh, you see it in Genesis 41, when Joseph uh, is, functions as a regent in place of the king during Pharaoh's absences. Well, these keys... Uh, are quite literal. Uh, The chief steward carries these keys on his shoulder, where they serve as a badge of authority. Uh, In the absence of the king, the steward exercises authority in the name of the king, because he's the guy with the keys. He's holding the keys. He also controls admission to the royal household. Uh, Jesus, as David's greater son, came to fulfill God's promise to David of an eternal kingdom, and as he spoke with Peter, he was reestablishing the royal house of David and the fulfillment of the kingdom of Israel based on the 12 apostles, in conjunction with the, in, in uh, t- typifying the 12 tribes. And in keeping uh, with this ancient custom, he appoints Peter as the chief steward over the royal household, the church, gave him the keys of the kingdom. Uh, this is an amazing. Um, uh, meaning that is often passed over in non-Catholic exposition of these passages. And uh, I think we would do our non-Catholic brothers and sisters uh, a favor if we would, again, point out to them the Isaiah 22 uh, context for this uh, giving of the keys to Peter. Uh, you know that it, it, we also have these powers of binding and loosing that are given Peter those are, by the way the powers of binding and loosing are also given to the other members of the apostolic company over in Acts chap excuse me in Matthew chapter uh, 18 but uh the powers of binding and loosing uh, are not that mysterious we we do know what uh powers of binding and loosing were these are the this is a phrase used Uh, was used by rabbis Uh, it was their authority to define who was in the community who was not in the community it was uh, an exercise of their authority to establish rules of conduct uh, for the community these were meant to bind the conscience of members and so with on this feast of the chair of St. Peter what we remember is remember all that Jesus gave to Peter for our benefit and for the sake of our salvation. The rock, the keys, the powers of binding and loosing, Jesus' very authority rests on Peter.
1: Support for this Ave Maria radio program comes in part by the non-for-profit St. Anthony Services. Are you shopping for mortgage products, Catholic investing, Catholic health, real estate, or estate planning? Services.org can help you find a Catholic professional for these needs. They regularly connect faithful citizens with faith-based professionals that share our Christian values. More information at StAnthonyServices.org or 877-LIFE-US1. If you only
0: see the difficulty in parenting, you will never see the treasure. Catholic Charities of Southeast Michigan are devoted to helping moms see the treasure at every stage of life. Project HOPE provides material assistance and guidance. Adoption, foster care, and counseling services are also joyfully offered. Our Walking with Moms in Need initiative provides help and hope at every turn. To get involved or make a financial contribution, visit ccscm.org
1: mom. That's ccscm.org mom. It's time for Family Man with Dr. Gregory Popchuk. You've probably heard Venerable Father Patrick Payton say, the family that prays together stays together. Well, as the director of the Peyton Institute, I like to add that the family that plays together also prays together. Family play rituals, like family days, game nights, and other similar activities, aren't just fun things to do. They're ways Catholic families remind each other to celebrate the life God has given them. Daily play rituals remind families that both in good times and in hard times, God always wants us to look for reasons to rejoice. That's one reason family rituals for playing together are such an important part of Catholic family life. To discover more ways your family can celebrate the liturgy of domestic church life, check out the newest editions of Parenting with Grace and visit CatholicCounselors.com. I'm Dr. Greg Popchak, but you can call me Family Man. To discover more ways faith can enrich your life, visit CatholicCounselors.com
0: The Heart of the Interior Life with Elizabeth Jangle
1: St. Ignatius of Loyola offers great hope to those who are experiencing spiritual desolation in the 7th rule of his 14 Rules for the Discernment of Spirits When one is experiencing spiritual desolation along with its various agitations and temptations St. Ignatius teaches since he can resist with the divine help which always remains with him though he does not clearly feel it For the Lord has taken away from him his great fervor, abundant love, and intense grace, leaving him, however, sufficient grace for eternal salvation. The divine help always remains in the darkness of spiritual desolation. Father Timothy Galgar writes, Since God always provides sufficient grace to withstand the trial of spiritual desolation, persons immersed in such desolation and seeking to resist can know with certitude that they can resist.
0: For more information, visit avimariaradio.net.
2: Maybe you've been hearing a lot about the need to make a spiritual communion while participating from home in a live-streamed or broadcast Mass. There's more to it than reciting the act of spiritual communion. We should begin by having sincere repentance for our sins and affirming our belief that Christ's death redeemed us. Next, we call to mind the spiritual gifts found in Christ's sacrifice and thank God earnestly for them. Now we are disposed to pray the traditional prayer of spiritual communion. Jesus, I embrace you and unite myself wholly to you. The Catechism
0: defines evangelization as the proclamation of Christ and His gospel by word and the testimony of life in fulfillment of Christ's command. But what does that look like in real life? It looks like the St. Paul Evangelization volunteers out on the street sharing the good news with people in a non-confrontational way, handing out free sacramentals, listening to them, praying for them, teaching them, planting seeds, and letting the Holy Spirit make them grow. Visit StreetEvangelization.com and learn more so you can get involved in real-life evangelization.
2: Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. And join me for our weekly look at this Sunday's Gospel reading. We've got Peggy Stanton. Peggy is the author, From the White House to the White Cross. She's a dame of the Order of Malta and was ABC News' first female Washington correspondent. She's uh, hosted many programs for us at Ave Maria Radio, including the Malta Minute with the Catechism. And uh, her newest book, by the way, is taken from that series. It's called The Order of Malta. Minutes with the Catechism. Peggy, nice to have you here. How's uh, the weather?
3: Uh, <laughs> it's beautiful here. Yeah, <laughs> But actually, uh, we're in North Florida. Amelia Island is uh, North Florida. So we do not have a traditional um, hot, hot
2: you, you're Florida. You're not the tropics.
3: Uh, no, no, it's only about... 66 degrees, which is not a whole lot warmer than what you've got. I
2: know, we're having have... unseasonably warm weather right now, yeah, of for for course. Michigan.
3: <laughs> of course, just just when I choose to escape,
2: yes. it gets warmer. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, we're going to
2: take a look at this Sunday's Gospel reading. It's Ma- uh, Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 10, and I'll read them and then we'll get to your reflections on them. Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no fuller on earth could bleach them. Then Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were conversing with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus in reply, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He hardly knew what to say. They were so terrified. Then a cloud came, casting a shadow over them, and from the cloud came a voice. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone but Jesus alone with them. As they were coming down from the mountain, he charged them not to relate what they had seen to anyone, except when the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead meant. That's some uh, Mm -hmm. Gospel of Mark, Mm -hmm. chapter 9, verses 2 through 10. Well, another uh, remarkable passage of Scripture here. And you can see the apostles themselves trying to figure out what's going on in their experience. Uh, You can imagine. Yeah.
3: (laughs) You suddenly see... This person you've been traveling with, who's in ordinary human form, is suddenly uh, transformed into this glorious, brilliant light, and you know his face is like the sun, and his clothes are brilliant white. You can imagine
2: yeah. Yeah. what
3: they must have felt,
2: right? Yeah. Oh yeah, I, and you've got you've got Moses and Elijah there, the the standing for How the How did law they know that, the prophets. Al? Good question. Uh, I I always wondered,
3: how did they know they didn't wear name tags?
2: (laughs) Yeah, right. right. No, they didn't. Uh, There were characteristics, perhaps, uh, you know, Moses is the law keeper, uh, the law giver, so perhaps he's carrying tablets. Um, Elijah had gone to heaven in a chariot, maybe... uh,
3: you know, he's, he was still in his chair. Yeah, I,
2: <laughs> I honestly don't know. Uh, but no. ag- again, from what 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 you hear from people who have had mystical experiences of one sort or another, sometimes um, things are just realized.
3: Uh, yeah, infused. With, knowledge. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah, yeah. so uh, hmm. I, I, that may be what, well, you what happened here.
3: Yeah. That Jesus could have told them later, but it it indicates in the reading they knew instantly I mean they knew it- before he told them I think he didn't uh doesn't say that when they showed up that our Lord uh identified them but um I mean that's possible uh but um he could have told them later on, but the scripture indicates they knew right away.
2: Yeah, and I, you know, something else that might play into this, um, and that is that both Elijah uh, and Moses, well, Elijah ascended to heaven, or at least in some way was taken to heaven in a whirlwind. And even Mm -hmm. though Moses had died, the Jewish tradition of the time held that he too was taken up to heaven. So, you know, maybe maybe they're distinct in the spiritual imagination of the Jewish people there in 1st century Palestine and so when you see these two um you know, they're they're not they're not uh, merely part of a grand assembly. Uh, they're two exceptional figures in the history mm-hmm. of Israel and both ha- both are uh, both have been attributed uh, to heaven, so mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, you well, both, and, and you. You also have a, I mean, Moses and Elijah. Both, uh, they encountered God on Sinai. So, uh,
3: right, right, yep. Of um, course, well, a lot of uh, this gospel reflection uh, from the Catechism, which we're using a lot of. Um, it, it talks about Simon Peter, and, and very appropriate for the day that uh, we're we're yeah. broadcasting, and that is, uh, as you know, as and talked about earlier, it's the feast of Ex Cathedra, yeah. the chair of Peter, right? Yes,
2: yes it is. Yeah,
3: and um, uh, so uh, paragraph five fifty two in the Catechism starts out: Simon Peter holds the first place in the College of the Twelve. Jesus entrusted a unique mission to him. Through a revelation from the Father, Peter had confessed, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Our Lord then declared to him, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Christ, the living stone, thus assures his church, built on Peter, of victory, over the powers of death. Because of the faith, he confessed, Peter will remain the unshakable rock of the church. His mission will be to keep this faith from every lapse and to strengthen his brothers in it. And then uh, paragraph 554 talks about a foretaste of the kingdom is the transfiguration. Uh, from the day Peter confessed, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Master began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Peter, of course, scorns this prediction, and nor do the other apostles understand it any better than he did, in this context, the mysterious episode of Jesus' transfiguration takes place on a high mountain, and uh, it just, just recounts what we just talked about. Um, in paragraph 555, uh, it goes on to say, For a moment, Jesus discloses his divine glory, confirming Peter's confession. He also reveals that he will have to go by way of the cross at Jerusalem in order to enter into his glory. Moses and Elijah had seen God's glory, as you said, Al, on the mountain. Uh, Moses the law and Elijah the prophet had announced the Messiah's suffering. And Christ's passion is the will of the Father. The Son acts as God's servant, the cloud indicates the presence of the Holy Spirit, so the whole Trinity appeared, the Father in the voice, the Son in the man, the Spirit in the shining mm. cloud. Yes, very good. I don't think we we focus on that.
2: No. Right? no, that's very good. yeah, I hadn't thought of that.
3: um, and then the Byzantine uh, liturgy reflects on this moment this way. It says, "You were transfigured." on the mountain, and your disciples, as much as they were capable of it, beheld your glory, O Christ our God, so that when they should see you crucified, they would understand that your passion was voluntary and proclaimed to the world that you truly are the splendor of the Father. Hmm. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Paragraph 556 in the Catechism says that on the threshold of the public life, of Jesus' public life, we have the baptism. On the threshold of the Passover, we have the transfiguration, which is something I hadn't uh, focused on, uh, you know, before uh, studying this today.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus' baptism proclaimed the mystery of the first regeneration, namely... Our baptism. The transfiguration is the sacrament of the second regeneration, our own resurrection. From now on, we share in the Lord's resurrection from the, through the Spirit who acts in the sacraments of the body of Christ. The transfiguration gives us a foretaste of Christ's glorious coming when he will change our lowly body to be like his glorious body. But it also recalls that it is through many persecutions that we must enter the kingdom of God. Uh, And this, St. Augustine uh, spoke this in a sermon. He said, Peter did not yet understand this when he wanted to remain with Christ on the mountain. It has been reserved for you, Peter, but for after death. For now, Jesus says, go down to toil on earth, to serve on earth, to be scorned and crucified on earth. Life goes down to be killed. Bread goes down to suffer hunger. The way goes down to be exhausted on his journey. The spring goes down to suffer thirst and you refuse to suffer that's Hmm. from again from saint augustine so uh they're certainly bringing home isn't it (laughs) we have a lot of crosses to go through before we get a glorious body if we get it
2: yeah the transfiguration does bring us face to face with this uh remarkable work of regeneration Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Hold there Peggy I hear the music We're going to take a break And we'll pick up on the other side Catholic charities
0: of Shiawassee and Genesee counties Have been providing health and creating hope since 1941 It's the generosity of donors That allows them to provide necessary services Such as their warming center Which provides refuge and comfort to thousands in our community they also offer hot meals in their soup kitchens and help families make ends meet in their community closet. Even the smallest donation makes a meaningful difference. Join us in their mission by giving a donation at catholiccharitiesflint.org. At K. Ruse Jewelry, you're more than a number. Tony K. Ruse, a master diamond setter with 45 years of experience, will take the time to listen to your jewelry design idea and work to create the perfect custom engagement ring, anniversary gift or even do complex repairs. You can expect heirloom quality jewelry that will shine for generations to come. Visit K.Ru's Jewelry at 504 Main Street in Belleville next to T-Mobile or call 734-444-2323.
2: Welcome to Advanced Dentistry Center family. This is Dr. Metti and our team strives to treat you like family in a loving and compassionate way as we focus on serving you in a Christ-like manner. We do this by emphasizing prevention and general well-being for a lifetime. Our private practice is small, personal, state-of-the-art, and innovative, with the goal to educate and motivate our patients in improving their oral health. It is through a partnership with you that you will achieve the goals for your smile. Advanced Dentistry is serious about the level of care we provide with attention to details and an exceptional level of care, skill, and judgment. We are thrilled for the opportunity to serve you.
0: Dr. Matty and the team invite you to visit them at advanceddentistrycenter.com or call them at 248-594-9592. That's 248-594-9592. AdvancedDentistryCenter.com.
1: Ave Maria Radio invites you to feast on the joy of fasting this Lenten season and all year long. Fast from complaining. Feast on appreciation. Fast from negatives. Feast on affirmatives. Fast from unrelenting pleasures. Feast on unceasing prayer. Fasting is a part of true Christian life. It liberates us from this world as we grow closer to Christ. Light of the East, weekends
0: on Ave Maria Radio.
1: I'm Father Thomas Loya. This week on Ave Maria, behold, the church is covered with a heavenly garment by the icons, thus preserving the true faith. May those who do not believe this be covered with shame.
0: Now on Ave Maria Radio's newest FM stations, 105.5 FM in Southfield and 107.9 FM in Ann Arbor.
1: Cresta in the afternoon is underwritten by the following nonprofit organization Real Estate for Life. Buying or selling your home or business property, Real Estate for Life can connect you with one of 1,400 pro life real estate agents around the world. When Real Estate for Life receives a referral fee, they donate 70% to Ave Maria Radio and Human Life International. More information at realestateforlife.org or 877 Life US1. That's realestateforlife.org. Every woman deserves specialized health care. At Arbor Women Health, our team of compassionate professionals listen to our patients and want to understand what they're going through. They serve everyone from teen girls to seniors. Our faith-based clinicians specialize in obstetrics, gynecology, fertility awareness and crisis, or unexpected pregnancies. Call 734-930-4020 or visit arborwomenhealth.org. Arbor Women, faith-inspired, dignity-affirming health
2: Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. With me is Peggy Stanton. We are looking at this Sunday's Gospel reading, which is uh, from the Gospel of Mark, uh, uh, chapter 9, verses 2 to 10. It is the well-known passage uh, of the Transfiguration, and uh, Peggy, uh, before the break, we were talking about the um, Saint Augustine discussing uh, the significance of uh, Resurrection and the tra- well. Excuse me, Transfiguration. And I, I'm just curious that the Gospel reading itself. I'm curious if you got got into this at all. But the, the Apostles say, at the very end of this passage, so they kept the matter to themselves, questioning mm-hmm. what rising from the dead meant. Yeah. You know, it's a, so what yeah. were, what were they speculating on? What did they... What they
3: yeah, uh, well, and then uh, the question, the catechism, uh, goes into that a little bit about <clears throat> in the next, passages, we, what, what does it mean, rising from the dead? What, what will happen to us? We all wonder. What exactly happens at that moment of death uh, and, and beyond? So uh, paragraph 459 in the Catechism says, The Word became flesh to be our model of holiness. He said, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. On the mountain of the transfiguration, the Father commands, listen to him. Jesus is the model for the Beatitudes and the norm of the new, new law. Love one another as I have loved you. This love implies an effective offering of oneself after Jesus' example. So paragraph 649 says, As for the Son, He affects His own resurrection by virtue of His divine power. Jesus announces that the Son of Man will have much to suffer, die, and then rise. Elsewhere, He affirmed explicitly, I lay down my life that I may take it again. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. So, of course, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And I think often we hear, and even in Scripture, that uh, he was raised again by the Father or, or by the Holy Spirit. Um, but since they're all one of one, and Jesus was God, he he uh, he is correct in saying, you know, I have the power to lay it down, and mm-hmm. I have the power to take it back up again.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the Father, it, it's thought that the Father, the Spirit, and the Son all participate in the resurrection of Jesus.
3: Yeah. Right, right. Um, and here to the question uh, that you brought up a few minutes ago, how do the dead rise? Well, paragraph 997 in the Catechism says, What is rising? In death, the separation of the soul from the body, the human body decays, and the soul goes to meet God while awaiting its reunion with its glorified body. God in his almighty power will definitively grant incorruptible life to our bodies by reuniting them with our souls through the power of Jesus' resurrection. Paragraph 998 says, Who will rise? All the dead will rise, the catechism says, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Despite whether... (laughs) Pope Francis wants to see an empty hell. Right. (laughs) Unfortunately, I don't think he's going to see that. Um, The paragraph uh, 999 says, How will we rise? Well, Christ is raised with his own body, the Catechism says. Uh, See my hands and my feet, he said to the apostles, that it is I myself. But he did not return to earthly life. So in Him all will rise again with their own bodies, which they now bear. But Christ will change our lowly body to be like His glorious body, and into a spiritual body. I can't wait
0: yeah. <laughs> for the
3: glorious body. <laughs> yes, but that's interesting. This addition into a spiritual body. Mm-hmm. Um, what does that mean does that uh, uh mean that we don't ha- well he had all his human features
2: yeah uh, you know,
3: uh, Saint, with his glorified body
2: St Paul gives us uh probably as full an explanation of spiritual body as we find on the pages of the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 uh uh-huh. where he's actually arguing with the corinthians i don't have the passage open in front of me but he's he's uh he's saying that our mortal bodies will go into the earth <clears throat> and they will reemerge as spiritual bodies they're not just going to be resusc- resuscitations of the uh the mortal body they're going to be bodies of a different characteristic different quality um and so this will be and i've always understood the spiritual body and the glorious body to be one and the same so right, the
3: right right uh,
2: and it's it's that which it is. is received yeah. after um hmm. re- resurrection so
3: yeah i think can again go through walls yeah well st peter or st paul says in this passage uh i have in front of me he said but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? Yes. With what kind of body do they come? And, and St. Paul answers, you foolish man, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies, and what you sow is not the body which is to be, but a bare kernel. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. The dead will be raised imperishable, for this perishable nature must put on the imperishable, and this mortal nature must put on immortality. Yes. Yeah. So that that's from his first letter to the Corinthians.
2: Yeah, that's it's uh, chapter 15,
3: and this yeah. is
2: again the where I think we get the most thorough exposition of what the. Mm-hmm. Immortal body, yeah. or the the spiritual body, is the glorious body, the imperishable body. Yeah. You
3: know. oh. And a bare. I like the way he phrased that. Uh, what what goes going into the ground? What we're uh, nurturing so much today with consumerism yes. is a bare kernel of yeah. what will emerge out of right. after uh, our, our resurrection. But then you know we have um, uh, some wonderful quotes from our friend <laughs> Monsignor Charles Pope, um, the priest from uh, Washington, D.C., who who regularly writes a column on the Gospel. But he has such a way of, of uh, adding a perceptive insights, you know, that relate us and our everyday lives to the Gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, he says... Um, he says that the second Sunday of Advent, or Lent, excuse me, which is coming up, always features the Transfiguration, and he says this is because we're following the Lord on his final odyssey to Jerusalem, and this journey up Mount Tabor was one of his stops with Peter, James, and John. So what the Lord is trying to show the apostles and us is that the end what the end shall be. Monsignor says there is a cross to get through, but there is glory on the other side. Um, uh, I'm quoting him now directly. He says, the purpose in placing the account of the transfiguration here is that it helps describe the pattern of the Christian life, which is the Paschal mystery. We are always dying and rising with Christ, In repeated cycles as we journey to an eternal Easter this gospel shows forth the pattern of the cross the climb the rising and the glory of the mountaintop then it is back down the mountain again only to climb another another one which he likens to Golgotha and through it find another glory and he says when we focus on the tale of the transfiguration, he says that um, Peter, James, we we don't focus on the fact that Peter, James, and John had to climb a mountain to witness the transfiguration. No easy task, he says. Mount Tabor's altitude is almost 2,000 feet. Taking perhaps a half day and perhaps some danger to ascend. Mm. You know we don't think about that. Yeah. yeah, that uh, I mean, I've thought about them climbing the mountain, but I didn't really think about how uh, steep it might have been and how long it would have taken. Um, he, the Monsignor says, this climb reminds us of life. Often we have had to climb, to endure, to have our strength tested. What of real value do we have? that did not come at the price of a climb of effort and struggle. Life's difficulties are often the prelude to success and greater strength. We wish that life had no struggles, but it would seem the Lord intends them for us, for the cross alone leads to true glory. God uses problems to perfect us. If we respond to them, they are character builders. So we should rejoice over problems and trials because they help us build patience, and patience builds character. It also strengthens trust in God each time we use it. This is, the Monsignor concludes, the pattern of our lives. We die with Christ so as to live with him each time we come back around to the cross, or back around to glory, we are one round higher and one level closer to final glory.
2: You know, this is this. I think. I think it would be. I wonder. I just wonder how many of us actually embody that kind of thinking, the pattern of our lives. I wonder yeah. how many of us even think of our lives as having any pattern. Um,
3: Good question. You know, and I, I yeah. think
2: this is this is the, something to keep to think about because we really are,
3: ponder, right?
2: Yeah. Uh, well,
3: wouldn't you say, for instance, you had a great cross with your leg? Yeah. And you must have benefited greatly, uh, even though the, through great suffering
2: yeah well i I don't, but i can't I would say as much as I would like to, I don't think I could present evidence that um the suffering that I went through has necessarily had any uh led to any great achievement of virtue. Let me put it that way. It's still unclear to me um all that the Lord was trying to achieve through this experience. I mean uh i don't doubt that i've had i've made changes in my life as a result of this i've i'm i'm much more patient much more tolerant um well
3: there you go yeah
2: yeah <laughs> i, I mean those go. are things those are things right there and yet yeah and yet i would still say was, that's a, that's a big price to pay for those <laughs> who <laughs>
3: Yeah, but no, but see, he talked about patience and he said, uh, uh, he says in, the, in this, uh, treatise that, that, uh, patience, getting patience, uh, is, is very much character building. Yes. Even though you may not see right yourself as being built in character, I see it. Yeah. <laughs> I see a lot of good character in you, Al, and I wonder I did wonder, you know, I I, I myself have true falls and mishaps have, feel I've learned a lot. If yes. I haven't achieved a lot, I've learned a lot.
2: And uh, this is something we can talk over more clearly uh, in the future. Thanks, Peggy.
1: Yes, indeed. Okay. No one should ever have to choose between feeding their family and keeping their heat on. Impossible questions like rent or diapers demand answers every day, likely in your very own neighborhood, but you can help. Hope Clinic partners with you to provide free medical, dental, food, and behavioral health care, all in Jesus' name. While others face impossible choices, your choice is an easy one. Partner with Hope Clinic today. Find out how at www.thehopeclinic.org. Fire on the earth, Peter Herbeck. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. And one of the things that he meant by that was the Christian people understand the larger story that's unfolding in history. So as St. Paul said, as the saints echoed very clearly, we're now living through... Just a, a short moment, a slight momentary affliction, he calls it, in this life, which is going to make way and lead us to an eternal glory beyond all compare. The secret to the fruitfulness and the strength of the apostles was that they lived with a clear vision of the future, an eternal perspective, fixed on the destiny of where their life was headed. And they lived with the realization that, wow, yeah, life is very short here. Everything is temporary. Nothing here in this world is ultimately going to last except the ultimate destinies, the eternal destinies of every human being that exists on the earth. And they knew that whether good things were coming their way or bad things from the world's perspective were coming away, nothing could steal from them, nothing could take away the gold that was in their heart, the treasure that they bore. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Peter Herbeck spreads fire on the earth weekday mornings
0: at 6.30 and again at 11.45 on 990 Ave Maria Radio.
1: Well,
2: good afternoon, and thank you for joining me. And Lord willing, will be back tomorrow for another edition of Crest in the Afternoon. Uh, I do want to emphasize, you can follow up on my conversation with uh, Peggy Stanton by going to AveMariaRadio.net. We'll have uh, Peggy's notes there on this passage from Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verses 2 through 10, the famous Transfiguration passage. And Lord willing, I'll see you tomorrow.